0: Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Now, here's the hosts of WP Tonic, Jonathan Dinwood and
1: John Locke. Welcome to WP Tonic, episode 176. Today, we're talking the biggest mistake that we've each ever made uh, on a web project. What's our biggest uh, screw-up that we've ever done? Uh, Before we get into today's show, I want to give a big thanks to our sponsor, Liquid Web. For years, Liquid Web has been known as a managed hosting company with tons of options, but recently they've designed a managed WordPress offering that's perfect for mission-critical sites. So if you're running one of those mission-critical sites and you're looking for improved performance, maximized uptime, incredible support, Liquid Web is exactly the partner that you've been looking for. Now, every Liquid Web-managed WordPress customer also has iTheme Sync integrated into the management portal, and what that means for you is you can update several sites with a single touch. So if you sign up today using the code WPtonic33, you can get 33% off uh, for the next six months on your managed WordPress hosting. So visit liquidweb.com slash WordPress to get started and use the code WPtonic33. And with that, we'll uh, start getting into introductions. Uh, We got the WP Tonic Posse in effect, and we have a guest. Uh, David, uh, who are you, and, and tell us what you do for the people who don't know.
2: Sure, I am uh, David Hayes. I, relevant to this audience, I run a site called WP Shout, which is WordPress tutorials for developers, and uh, we're just relaunching a thing called Up and Running, which is we think the best way for someone to get up and running with WordPress development.
1: There you go. Uh, yeah, and uh, definitely. And then we have uh, Jackie. Introduce yourself.
0: Hello, I'm Jackie Dalia. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm a web developer here, and I'm also the host of Rethink.fm.
1: Definitely, and go check out that show. It's a totally undersold show, and everybody should be listening to that, too. (laughs) Uh, Sally, who are you, for the people who don't know?
3: Uh, I'm Sally Getch. My business is WP Fangirl. I'm the organizer of the East Bay WordPress Meetup in Oakland, California. And when uh, the first version of Up and Running was coming out, uh, Fred Meyer came on to uh, uh, did, did a remote uh, presentation for our meetup.
1: Oh, very good. Very good. Uh, definitely. And then uh, my co
4: host, Jonathan. Who are oh, you? Hi there. Yeah, great, John. Hi there, folks. I'm the founder of WP Tonic. I'm based in sunny Reno in Northern Nevada, and um, we are your trusted support, security, anything to work to do with WordPress partner. Aren't oh, we, John?
1: Most definitely. And I'm John Locke. My business is Lockdown Design, and I provide custom WordPress development and local SEO. For all you brick and mortar businesses out there. So jumping right into the news stories. First one is from the Tavern Jetpack introduces a theme installation from WordPress.com. Of course, has kicked off a lot of controversy. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of, of talk around how the theme review uh, and plugin reviews are. Um, you know, David, what, what is your take on
2: this story? Um, I think, I think the biggest thing is, uh, in general, there's a lot of long standing fear about Jetpack. And so this feels like another instance of people just, um, being scared of what WordPress.com is role in the community is because it is the, you know, 10,000 pound bear involved. Definitely. Uh, will do, do, how will this
1: affect uh, theme authors that are uh, say like ones like Xerif uh, that that relies so much on the, the org repository? Do, do, why are why are a lot of theme authors like reacting to this uh, jockey?
0: why are uh well i just think that it's the the nature of this now is is that you know wordpress.com is private right and it's not uh, you know, it's it, it has the same name, but it's not really the same entity. And I agree with David that, you know, the, I don't use Jetpack, so I'm not really like the best person to ask for like the perspective on that. Um, I just think it's very bloated and it, I just don't see any benefit for for the work I'm doing where it actually helps with that. But I could see where people would be concerned that, uh, you know, that's another avenue and another outlet for marketing themes to folks and you know I, I already think the whole theme market is just bloated anyway and just uh, there's way too many of them and uh, I, I don't necessarily think that um, having another one is gonna make any difference at all anyway but I do think that it is a concern for folks that are relying on the .org repo and that that was their avenue for marketing their themes that um, now there, there may be some other players and some other costs to, to playing in that game
1: yeah definitely um you know when it comes to that it's it's a lot of theme authors like have to wait uh a while and so they but here's the thing like we were talking about a couple weeks ago um you know when you're playing in this ecosystem automatic kind of writes the rules and you have to accept the rules of the ecosystem uh sally what's your take on this story
3: I'm actually not sure how much of a threat it is to the freemium marketplace. I mean, it kind of depends on on how things go. But, you know, so far they're making themes available free. Uh, and, uh, you know, some of them are, are themes you can already get out of the repo. And, you know, we'll see where and when it might become an, an upsell. But it is not just automatics themes that are on WordPress.com. And, you know, so presumably um if you are somebody who has gone through the process of being approved on wordpress.com you know your theme too can get exposure this way so that it may benefit people other than just Uh, automatic Uh, and it it may also make the transition easier for people who are migrating from WordPress.com to self-hosted WordPress because I know this has been an issue like you know various companies um, have been able to make premium themes available on WordPress.com except they have to create like a whole new different version of the theme and so the theme that somebody paid for on WordPress.com they've got to get a different version of it if they move to a self-hosted site. And some of the, you know, some of the theme shops have a, you know, a plan to give them a discount or credit or or something like that to, to make it easier. But I think this may be, Uh, a way to make that a more seamless process that when people are ready to to graduate uh, from WordPress.com to a self-hosted site, that it might make the transition easier. So, you know, I think there can be benefits to the end user, which is supposedly what jetpack and wordpress.com are, are about and there may or may not be disadvantages to the developer but i think it you know the reason people get upset is that it seems like there's a double standard in effect
1: yeah uh, there there is a little bit um possibly but i mean again that's the rules of the game that's how it goes you know things aren't always going to stay the same Uh, The best thing to do is be proactive and stay in front of where you think the market is going and not just depend on it to stay the same forever. Uh, I want to ask Jonathan, do you think Jetpack is doing a good job in being a bridge between people who are, you know, on WordPress.com or going to self-hosting?
4: Well, that's a really difficult question. I I really can't answer that, John. Basically... um, It's beyond my pay skill to uh, pass comment on that. Um, Just reflecting on the other bits, um, I I really think this is driven by business more than anything. Um, I've got no um, data to support this, but um, uh, WordPress.com, I think it's... Been a, in a kind of pincer movement, really. I think it's been a quite a effectively attacked by Squarespace and by Wix. Um, in some ways, I, I I haven't had to help somebody get a site up and running um, on WordPress.com for quite a while. But the last time I did it, it wasn't um, a smooth and um, the individual was expecting more ability to customise it was um, it was a friend that was helping and they were looking just for a quick and easy blogging solution but strange enough they were disappointed um, and I, I think you know um, I think that's what's driving it and I think Automatics had to put a lot of resources in the e-commerce side haven't they a lot of attention has had to be um, transferred engineers and resources, which is going to be our next story. Um, So in some ways, I think they're linked because I I think a lot of the resources had to go into the WooCommerce side um, that could have been focused on the main product that I think the main product for Automatic is WordPress.com and I think that's been, in features and usability being falling behind some of its main competitors. What do you think, John?
1: No, I, I, I think that there is like a big effort to compete with things like Wix and Squarespace, and WordPress.com is the offering that competes directly with those. Um, one th- last question I want to ask on this subject before we move to the next story, and I want to ask David this. Uh, Matt Mullenweg has suggested, or he just straight up said that like Jetpack and WooCommerce are multi-billion dollar, um, you know, things waiting to happen here. It's just tapping into it. So do you, in your assessment, uh, do you predict at some point that uh, will automatic through either Jetpack or you know, some other means, uh, have some sort of paid marketplace where it's not just free themes or anything like that, but will they enter some sort of, of, of marketplace at some point in the future?
2: Uh, you mean beyond selling themes on WordPress.com? Com. And, yeah, beyond that. And selling extensions on WooCommerce? Um, well, I think, I think an obvious move to my mind is to put WooCommerce on WordPress.com to yeah. um, better compete with things like Squarespace commerce and even Shopify to a certain extent. I think the big issue that, uh, you know, this ties into what um, Jonathan was saying of like how how Wix and those sorts of competitors are really the thing that's eating into a lot of WordPress businesses because Squarespace offers a fully featured, and to, in, in some ways I, I hear more intuitive experience for a lot of people then wordpress was a widgets and all those other sort of strange interfaces that as wordpress community members were used to but that um i don't think that an average person you pick up off the street is going to be like oh yeah i need to move some stuff around i'll do a thing called a widget um so i think that whole onboarding experience is really a focus and i think part of the reason that this theme continuity with wordpress.com is coming in is that, like, there is a thought that it could increase onboarding and get revenue, Um, but, like, onboarding speed of, like, I know how to do WordPress.com. I now know how to do WordPress.org because Jetpack. Um, I think that is kind of a coherent story you could try to tell. I'm not sure how well it addresses the actual problems people have, but WordPress has the collective weight of everything beyond it. So I don't foresee automatic getting involved in, like, we are going to compete with ThemeForest sort of, direction of going after a marketplace, but I definitely think them going harder after we're trying to capture end user customers from the wider world and bring them into the WordPress ecosystem um, is obviously where they should be competing because that's kind of what their core business has been as long as they've existed. I think. I I
3: doubt they would try, you know, creating a theme marketplace because I, I don't think that's where they think the money is you know that there that's such a crowded market and and you know they basically were were saying well here you know we have this e-commerce platform that's already very widely used you know this thing is a gold mine uh, and so you know ex- i would expect more integration with wordpress.com and more expansion of of that uh, rather than you know entering the, the already somewhat saturated and and confusing theme marketplace
0: I agree with Sally on that, very much so. And somebody who's had experience like running an e-commerce business back 10 years ago when there wasn't like a self-hosted solution for that,
3: mm-hmm.
0: the the beauty of the hosted solution was that, you know, everything was all in one place and it all was built to work together. I didn't have to like know a lot about the environment and setting up plugins and all of the other complexities that go with a self-hosted e-commerce site. And I truly think... You know what Sally was just saying, the real focus is on the hosted solutions for these integrated. solutions for folks so you want to have something that competes with a Squarespace or a Shopify so that hosted platform is better The the beauty of the WordPress part though is, is you know you can export that if you want to and you can easily take it to a self hosted um, solution if that's what you want but I think most of the people that are going to be just starting up or wanting to open small e-commerce shops their best bet is a hosted solution I, I truly think most people are just going to struggle with the whole process Process of setting it up, SSL, um, Stripe integration, all of the all of the things that you need a developer to do. And on a small-scale startup e-commerce site, if you can provide a hosted solution where you just you know click a couple of buttons and it sets up your store, and you're more interested then in loading your products and other stuff than worrying about whether or not you've got your Routing set up and everything else set up properly for it to work because i I really enjoy I had a Yahoo store, so this was back when there really wasn't anything else available, and it made it really easy to run my business it managed the inventory, it managed the whole e-commerce aspects and all of the payments and the shipping and everything and I think that's where things are headed for this
1: no definitely, definitely go ahead go
2: ahead yeah, the 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 one thing I just wanted to throw in kind of in response to that is I do think that WordPress.com is trying to sell more and more features to WordPress.org users with Jetpack. That's kind of how I see that play going. But I do think the WordPress.com marketing to the wide world is the bigger, greener field for them to go after is like beat Squarespace to the next feature that people find really compelling as far as how to get online, because the, the the vast number of businesses aren't online because it's too expensive or too much of a hassle. And so re- lowering that bar- barrier to entry, making onboarding easier and more comprehensive. You know, I mean, there was a lot of uh, excitement when uh, 2017 came out that it's actually focused at businesses and provides some of the features that most business sites for small to medium businesses want, because that has not really been a thing that we've focused on in the community. It's like, let's add the new Shiny that you know takes people who already do WordPress and makes their job a little easier, but we've not focused as much on bringing new people into the products.
1: Nope, well said, definitely. Um, that brings us to our next story, which is uh, WooCommerce. The next release is not going to be 2.7. It's, it's going to be 3.8. Uh, oh, oh. And the reason for that is um, basically there was a bug in the way that it was handling timestamps. Um, in a lot of cases, developers uh, need to get a uh, UTC timestamp or a uh, uh, ISO 8601 datetime string. And so they needed to change the way that that, that was being handled. In addition, they're moving to semantic versioning on this version of of WooCommerce. So anyone that's using or anyone that's using versioned template files that are at 2.7, they may need to change them to 3.0.0. Um, David, thoughts
2: on um,
1: WooCommerce changing the versioning system uh, in this case?
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, I for personally, I'm very up on the idea of semantic versioning. It's one of the things that I, I get why WordPress refuses to do it. Um, for those who don't know, semantic versioning is you have a major number, you have a minor number, and you have a patch number. Patches are bug fixes. Minor numbers are for new features on top, and majors are for, like, we broke stuff on your old version. You actually will have to do something in this update step. So WordPress doesn't have major versions because we try to maintain compatibility always. And so there's like a, a kind of coherent story there, but I had the experience with WooCommerce, I think at 2.3 or something that a site broke because the templates changed or whatever it was. And that, is a troubling experience for the client who doesn't know um, what's going on or why they were, you know, I promised them they could typically just update plugins and it wouldn't be a problem. And in this case, it was, um, which kind of ties into the theme for uh, the rest of the show. But um, so I think being clear about when you're breaking backwards compatibility and being very intentional about it empowers you to both actually break it sometimes, which I think kind of kneecaps WordPress at times. And it also lets you um, let, let people better understand what your numbers are because semantic versioning is the most common way that software is versioned. And so people are used to this and are a little confused by the way WordPress rolls up always um, from 3.9 to 4.0 for whatever reason. So I think it's a, it's a great move. There's not a good reason other than, hey, WordPress does it. We are, we're a WordPress project that it was, I think the way it was. So I think it's a great move.
1: Jackie, uh, thoughts on this and and things to look out for possibly?
0: Well, I think it makes a lot of sense to to do versioning the way everybody else is doing. It makes it a lot easier to understand what's going on. and especially when a major version comes out, you know you need time to prepare for that. You need time to make sure that you don't have any compatibility issues. There's a lot of people that write plugins that uh, go on top of this so they need advance notice they need to plan for that and i think that that makes a lot of sense to do and uh having uh you know a what appears to be a minor version change switch um some major thing or or break something on your site is a big issue especially when you're talking about an e-commerce install that is generating income right so it's not as if my uh my, my bio picture on the about page is now, you know, not centered properly because of this update. It's like my shopping carts not working. We're not getting orders. uh, I can't ship orders. Those are like big problems to have. So I think, um, you know, putting a more formalized process to that makes a lot of sense.
1: No, I totally agree, and uh, you know, definitely, like having a standard versioning system will make it easier for people to judge. You know, the people that understand the versioning system, that they'll be able to judge, like, hey, like this is just like a, you know, a patch, or this is like something where I'm actually going to need to uh, test everything and make sure that things are still going to work if I, you know, r- update this, you know, update WooCommerce. Uh, hey, we got a new guest here, Lee. Well, inter- how the you <laughs> Introduce
5: yourself, Lee, for people who don't know who you are. Hey, guys. Uh, I'm Lee from the WP Innovator podcast, 22 minutes late because the time zone shift.
3: Oh, well, there you go. I, th-
5: I thought we all started at 5, and then I was like, ah, crap.
3: That's right. Y'all did. Uh, <clears throat> you,
5: you guys changed the time, not us. Uh, oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was like, oh, la, 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 and oh. then, like, yeah, well, they're, they're,
3: that's because There's... we're
0: backwards here. We're you know, we're spending, I don't know how much resources twice a year changing clocks for absolutely no reason. <laughs> oh, they change <laughs> clocks in Britain. It's just at a different time.
5: Just in a few weeks time. Yeah.
0: Oh, well, then you're wrong too.
5: <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Anyway, I'm here now. Sorry, okay. guys. Cool. Uh, I w- I was
1: just going to ask Sally, like her thoughts on the uh, WooCommerce—they're uh, changing the versioning to 3.00. Uh, some of the people are asking, uh, the plugin developers saying, "Hey, we need longer time on the release candidate uh, versions." of This, you know, any thoughts on this, Sally?
3: Uh, well, I agree that it, it just makes a lot more sense to use the semantic versioning because, you know, I have several times explained to people from outside the WordPress community the bizarre versioning system that WordPress uses and why, uh, it, it, you know, you can have a major release that's like 3.9 um, because it, it just doesn't make sense to anyone else. Um, I uh, What I'd really like to see uh, WooCommerce do is address like, instead of telling people to modify their darn templates so that you have, you know, 38 templates in your child theme that you need to update or or revise when there's a, a new version out, telling people, look, we have all these nice hooks in WooCommerce. You can just, you know, hook the changes that you need into it and then Leave our templates as they are so that whenever you upgrade WooCommerce, you get the new templates and you don't have all these objections. And, and you know, the only time that it's going to worry is, is if they decide we're going to, you know, deprecate this particular hook and, and put something else in, in there instead.
1: Yeah, it's an excellent point. Uh, definitely WooCommerce has a lot of documentation on their hooks. Uh, and and uh, that's one of the things that I do like about WooCommerce is the two things that it is easy to template and it is easy to look. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, Lee, any thoughts on the
5: 3.0 versioning of WooCommerce? Yes. Uh, I'm just excited. Well, excited is actually a bit of a lie. Uh, I'm just um, happy that there is plenty of time for us to test things um it's it's one of the biggest it's actually the most expensive upgrade for any client that i do is a WooCommerce upgrade um there's so many things to do everybody wants to change the look so i think uh, sally was alluding to the template files and everything and for some reason over the last few changes every time i've ever done a WooCommerce update there seems to be some silly little change in the template files that screws a whole lot of stuff up for us Uh, it's like i don't know one end div or something like that has just Changed and it screws stuff up, but yeah, having having time to uh, you know having time to test everything, etc. I'm very happy about that. Um, but WooCommerce itself, I just um, I got to admit, whenever I go to press the update button, I am bricking it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely. So, I mean, but that's good to know. I mean, and and definitely, it's like why you want to have. Um, you know, if you're running any kind of WooCommerce shop, you don't necessarily want to have just like your marketing intern or your college kid or whatever, like hitting update or whatever. You want to have like a trained professional uh updating stuff, someone who who you know realizes like the impact stuff could have. Because, you know, and definitely in something like WooCommerce, any type of e-commerce where you have different things, different payment gateways and and uh different types of plugins. Uh set up, you know, those things rely on on the site and WooCommerce and the theme and everything to, to work together in coordination. Jonathan, any final thoughts on this before we go to our break?
5: You're on mute. Unmute. You're on mute. You're still on mute. I'm sorry about that, folks.
4: No, um, not really, John. because I'll leave it for you to do, don't
1: I? <laughs> I guess so. Um, anyway, yeah, definitely. So, we're going to roll into our main topic. I think this is going to be an excellent show. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking the biggest mistake that we each ever made on a web project. What did we screw up? So stay tuned after the break.
2: If you want to spend more time making money online, then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full no question asked 30-day money back guarantee. So don't delay, sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com. Just like
5: the podcast
1: We're coming back from the break and I'm, I'm just so in anticipation of, of this topic. Uh, what was the biggest mistake you ever made on a web project? Uh, so hey, we'll start with a new guy here, last to join, uh, Lee. Wh- what's the biggest uh, balls up mistake you ever made on a project?
5: Um, but the problem is, is I've actually made a lot of mistakes so i'm not 100 percent sure which one would be the absolute well just just tell us all of them there you go just well, tell us once i awesome. mean there's the there's the classics isn't there? like oh i'm going to go ahead and update this site without backing it up because i think everything will be fine and i can't be bothered to back it up but i know i should back it up i'm still going to press update and then the whole thing screws up and it was um there was 50 websites it was a multi-site as well so i was an idiot for not backing it up you know so you know there's things like that and i've done that at least twice yeah, you'd think once. Yeah, Okay, fair enough, idiot. But twice. I, I've done it twice. Uh, that was like two years ago now, thankfully. Um, and then I guess the, the only other thing on a web project would be um, maybe about two years ago, I made an, a, a whole lot of assumptions about what a client wanted. I uh, shared with them BuddyPress and showed them how it all worked because it was the classic, I would like a Facebook clone sorry i feel like i'm gonna burst into tears Um, that should have been
1: your first clue right there (laughs) right first
5: clue i took the freaking project on i i trusted the client to look at the theme we were going to implement john's just jumping off a cliff over there uh jonathan um uh, you know I, i i just kind of assumed they would look at everything i sent them uh and that they would understand that everything was all going to be fine and dandy and do everything that they wanted it to do and i Got everything, started to get everything together, and before long it fell apart. You know, they were like, Where's the video upload? Where's this, that, and the other of, of Facebook? And I kept saying, Guys, Facebook has a bazillion dollars, and they've been building this for years. And our agreement and our contract clearly states that we're just installing this plugin, this plugin, and this plugin to give you the features that you agree you're going to have from those. Um, But it just all fell apart with things like you're the expert and you should have told and we're not technical and I was just like I'm going to have to walk away from this. So I had to. So uh, yes, there's either not backing up when you just know you should do and then the other thing is just making big fat assumptions about what a client wants without getting any decent documentation. There you go, two mistakes. Three, four, five, many.
1: Oh no no that's good but so what did, what did, you know what things did you change in your
5: process like after each of these uh, well now I back up i actually so even though we've got backup with all of the hosting companies that we have, and that saved my life a few times, um, what we also do now is use Duplicator Pro everywhere, and we actually back up everyone's sites on a nightly basis to our um, Google Drive or Dropbox depending on where we're doing and we also do it to the clients as well so that gives us 24 hours at the worst um to be able to recover someone because i've always thought as well what if the host goes bust if the host goes bust and they're backing everything up i don't know what's the plan then so you know so that's the one thing we learned there and obviously if i'm going to do a backup i mean we've since moved to wp engine so i just do a i just do a quick um A quick snapshot before I do anything and I always test on staging now and all that jazz you know so those are the things I did there and then with regards to the web projects we don't take any web project on without a full spec full brief uh, and we create something called a user story so instead it's like a website specification document but we just kind of make it fun and we do it as a story with chapters and we establish who the key people are we give them all a stupid name and a funny backstory and then we actually create this kind of book together that we all agree in. Is what's going to be built that enables us to define what the final price is going to be. It helps us to tell the developers what they're going to build, etc. So that when the client then comes to me and says, "Hey, um, where's the product export feature?" I'll say, "Well, the book we wrote together. There's not a little bit of. There's not a chapter about exporting your products. So let's create that new chapter and quote on it. Um, You know. So they are the two things we implemented, and that saved my bacon a lot."
1: no i love that that you made them stories not necessarily feature requests
5: and that well, you have documentation hmm. well the thing is i got to admit i'm lazy and i don't read boring stuff um so like if someone gives me a product specification document i, I lose the will to live if somebody gives me a funny Document that's like a story about a guy called Reginald and a lady called Lizzie, and and it's just silly and funny. But it also covers what they're going to do. I'm going to read that and have a laugh with it, and I'm also going to know what I need to to build because I can then quickly bullet bullet point the core features. Um, you know, we're going to tell the story about how they lo- how they register and go and check their email and make a coffee and then click on the link and just inject a little bit of humour throughout it. So it makes it fun for us and also fun for the client. Excellent,
1: excellent, David. When it when it comes to biggest mess
2: ups that you've
1: done, let's
2: hear. It. Yeah. Um. So I I was thinking there are kind of two classes of mistakes. There are the ones that had the most like not positive consequences for me personally, and they're also the most relatable ones. Um. So I think I think the most relatable ones are things like um, I've definitely um edited a plugin in production and then in the, I've actually, I think I actually did this once. It was on my own site, which helps, but updated a plugin in a way that white screened the site when I didn't have FTP credentials close at hand and couldn't immediately edit the file. Um, So I've done that. Um, And I've also, uh, I think more than once, I have had to rely on my host backup, as Lee was saying, uh, because I didn't actually run my backup or when I, I did have a backup running, but I didn't know how to restore the backup I was running, um, which is a whole separate but valuable thing to do. Know how to restore your backups in addition to having something that you think is a backup. Um, Amen, brother. Yeah, because because that one will bite you, and it'll bite you at the worst possible time, which is when you're like, oh, no, we're good, we're backed up. And then you're like, oh, no. (laughs) Well, let's hope that the 24-hour ago one that my host happens to have saved is good enough. So... Those have definitely happened. I mentioned the WooCommerce. Um, I don't think I updated that in production. Fortunately, we had a staging site where I found out that this update was going to break all the templates. Um, but to to pull back a little bit, I I do think like one of the biggest mistakes I've made um, on my own web projects is not having a clear sense of what I was building, why I was building it, and how I would make money doing it. Um, which is much more. It's it's less of like the small you know change a process. Um, But it's like, uh, basically the way Fred and I, who we run WP shop together, the way we got started was this business that we had. I'm going to put business in air quotes um, business that we had. That was just an idea and a dream and thought that if we build it, they will come and give us lots of money. So um, I think that happens a lot online and it's, it's a much bigger problem. Um, And so it's actually less, Uh, less memorable Um, but that is kind of the most profound mistake I've ever made is just like dumping hundreds if not thousands of hours into things that I thought were cool and you know the world was like yeah that's okay I'm not going to come back
1: (laughs) Oh man, you've all been there definitely definitely. So what changes did you what changes did you make in your processes uh, like after you made each of those mistakes? I think we touched on backups, but but you know those two things what, what did you change after?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I think trying to restore the backups is good and, and I think on the on the broader thing, you know, never do it live. <laughs> never do it on production. Um, You know, there's a reason they call it cowboy coding. And it's not because cowboys are valorous and brave. It's because they're wimps who make mistakes and die alone (laughs) in the desert. Um, So don't do those things. Um, And yeah, I mean, for the actual like business problems, um, I think I I can't say that I'm great at it or anything, but um, I'm a lot more thoughtful about why I'm undertaking a project and what I expect to get out of it. And so I, I have hobby projects that I just do because they're fun for me. Um, I've got tons of board games, which are just a money hole in time suck, um, but I love them. Um, but I'm very clear that that is a hobby and something that I'm not going to get any money from. And, you know, doing that with programming projects that I start on is helpful. Um, I think being intentional, like reading about lean startup, MVP, all that stuff, that can help with the broader problem of creating something no one actually cares for. But it's a really, really hard thing to go and implement in a new business idea that you're excited about because it's so much more appealing to uh, make the same mistakes again, than building what you want and not knowing if anyone else does.
1: No, that's that's definitely good advice. You know, uh, never make changes on the live site. Um, and when it comes to to you know having a business idea, make sure that you're building something that that other people want, and and be clear you know th- th- what your business model is for sure. For sure, um, Jackie, I wanted to ask you you know any big mistakes that you've ever made on a web project, and what you learned from them.
3: Yeah, I've got
0: two for the web project, but I want to start off with the first one that was before the web, right? So okay. just 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 for some. Why I'm obsessed with backups. Okay, so years ago before there was even, you know, uh, well, let's just say back maybe in the 90s somewhere. Okay, I had, you know, local computer network and I had a little server thing that was stored everything on there and I was backing that up to another device and um, they were all in the same place and my server failed And when I went to restore the backup, the backup drive failed at the exact same time. But like the the unit didn't want to work. And I, the unit was discontinued. I couldn't find another one. A week went by and I ended up losing, I guess, about six weeks worth of work that I could not get back. And it was very painful. It was really painful. I had done a lot of work. It was a lot of internal stuff that I had done, and I lost it all. And ever since then, I've been, you know, really good about redundant backups and never want to feel the pain of having to do six weeks worth of work again uh, for nothing. Um, So that was kind of like my intro into the backup horror story that that was. And it was really, when I went to restore and it didn't work and the drive failed, I was like, how could this have happened, you know, and it was, but it really did. And so it does happen to people you don't realize you don't think it's going to. So now my new way is, you know, I have a, I have a backup here, a NAS server that backs up my Mac every hour, right? And then I have another one of those that's like a portable one that I keep in a safe. And I I am reminded on my Mac every two weeks to take that out and do another time machine backup with that one. So like there's always something there. And then I have like a crash plan that backs up to the cloud, like all of my important stuff that there. So that's like my scenario that I will do and I'm even gone as far as if I'm going out of town, I might take that backup thing out of the safe and bring it to my parents house or something and just leave it there until I get back. So That's my obsession with backups, but probably on the web projects, I have to think, probably one of the funniest ones, and, you know, anytime I have to do anything with host uh, DNS domains or anything, I feel like somebody's asking me to change live electrical sockets, uh, (laughs) you know, just with their hands and just go in there and do it, because I feel like at any moment, something's just going to explode. And I think one of the ones that I did was I changed somebody's name servers and did not take a screenshot of what their records were, like their MX records and everything else. And then, of course, you go over to the new place where you, the new name server, and you don't have any of that. And then when you go back to the original one, it's not there anymore. So I think that was one of the ones, fortunately, that was Google uh, that they were using. And that's a pretty standard one that you can go back and fill in. But it was a really good reminder to me that, you know, it's dangerous in there whenever you're in there, you have to do anything. So it's like, that's my biggest challenge every time is I have to do any kind of records changes and things. The other thing is- I've done that by the
5: way, if if it makes you feel better, I've done exactly that. (sighs) (laughs)
0: Cool. The other thing was I would think before version control and before really, you know, using Git to push my changes and things, just relying on, you know, SFTP or FTP is actually just copying the files to the wrong site because I'm using like um, an FTP program. I'm using like forklift and I got everything there and it's already like keeps the last one open that I was using. And I just like grab this and drag it over and then realize, Oh my God, this is another client site that I've just uploaded all of this stuff to. And, you know, fortunately there was a backup, right? So I could go back. But I think that's like that moment your heart stops when you just realize what you just did. And you're trying to figure out what is the fastest way that I can undo this. And I think that's like the scariest part It's just like um, having everything so convenient the way it is right now where you know you can easily just open up things and upload things and drag things and then not paying attention to what folder you actually are dragging things to so those were my two big ones I think from uh, just a uh, technical perspective and then of course I totally agree with everybody else as you know not scoping projects adequately before you get started and then realizing halfway through uh, you know, you're know, you not going to be able to deliver what the client is expecting and then having to go back and grovel and regroup and try to figure a way out of it. Uh, I think we probably all have done that.
5: I think everyone just needs a group hug. And John, you're on mute, by the way. <laughs> But I think this is very yeah. cathartic, and uh, it feels like therapy for web developers right now as we 're all just confessing the terrible things that we 've done, and we 're all like nodding yep done that too oh oh, and i 've done that as well, <laughs> sorry, John, anyway, back to you oh no no totally
1: I, I I sense like a common theme is is making sure that you have like backups and and like David said, make sure that you walk through the backup to process to where you can restore it. It's a good idea to like, you know, practice that. And Jackie is super great. She's got redundant backups everywhere. She's even keeping one in the safe. I do know people that, that, that have like five or six backups of everything. And if it makes you feel any better, Jackie, I have done the exact same thing with the FTP. And it usually comes when I'm multitasking or something like that or trying to do too many things at once and like over yeah. And then you FTP the to the wrong wait, that's the wrong site. Ah uh, but yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah. Why
3: isn't this showing up? Oh, I put it in the wrong folder. <clears throat>
1: Sally, what horror stories do you have for us today?
3: Okay. Well, you know, I was, I was, I've been thinking about this topic because we're actually having our our meetup about it uh, tomorrow, and. Uh, There happened to be an article posted on the web recently about, you know, some people sharing their mistakes. And it it was interesting to me how many of the mistakes that they listed were the technical mistakes. Now, those can be pretty heart-stopping. And, you know, I had a situation recently, which is to say within the last year or two, but um, it was building a site for somebody. Their old site was on WordPress.com. And if you've ever looked at the DNS settings on WordPress.com, they're kind of funky. Um, And what I often do on a client site is I'll create a forwarder that's like, you know, webmaster at clientdomain.com so that I can set up things like their, you know, WordPress.com connection or whatever I might need to set up. And then, you know, later we can point that at whoever needs to get it if I'm not doing ongoing work. Um, but, of course, in order to be able to do that, that has to be a, a case where they're running the, the MX through the right place. And looking at the uh, DNS panel in WordPress.com was very confusing. And so it was not clear there that all their mail was actually being handled through you know, Office 365. So I actually went and set up this forward and then everything broke and the client was like having complete hysterics and I was up at, you know, and it wasn't that difficult to fix, Uh, but it was just, you know, it's like ever since then I have been extremely careful to inquire of my clients where their email is run through uh, so that I don't, you know, don't make that mistake again. Because, uh, you know, for most businesses, your email is pretty mission-critical, often more so than your website.
2: Uh, I, I just wanted to interject here that, Sally, that was specifically about communication um, in two ways, right? It's about email. And it's about communicating with your client about what you need was. And I, I, I heard this in Lee's thing too which is like making sure that you communicate clearly with the client what you're building and why and all that stuff and i i just think this is a thing that in general as a class developers are a little behind that and you know and in, in general people drawn to the web or like they, they like computers they don't like talking to people as much so uh,
3: yes like, oh, the, 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 right the, the i think the, the big pitfall in this case was like thinking i knew something i didn't Mhm. You know, it's 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 not just, you know, did I remember to ask about it. Although my biggest mistakes have all been basically mistakes of discovery. Uh mistakes of of not realizing what I was getting into, mistakes of, you know, I think about my 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 worst client from hell experiences, you know, one of them was from for a a not web project and and one of them was for for a web project uh, but both in both cases the, the problem was not checking the prospective client out uh, and so in the, in, the, in the first case it turned out this guy was uh, a, a fairly well known con artist uh, and what he would do is that he would you know hire contractors to create things that would help him con investors out of their money and then not pay the contractors. So, you know, we all started getting bad checks and, and, you know, then only then did I think to Google the guy's name and discovered that, oh yeah, other people had had this experience. And, you know, the, the good news is we were mostly able to, 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 to get our money uh, primarily thanks to the clever uh, intervention of my then fiance, now husband, um, but in the, in the next case, you know, I was in a position where I needed money. Um, the prospective client had mentioned having worked with a, a couple of different companies that I knew and, and you know, had no reason to think badly of. And, and I was too dumb to call them and find out about, like, why didn't this work out? And yet it turned out to be a complete cluster Mm -hmm. Uh, and so this is you know so like check up do your do your homework on on your perspective of clients and definitely do your homework on your perspective projects
0: hey can i just say one more thing just on that uh, note okay just yesterday this is a perfect example of like not having all the information that you need is you think when you go in, and we're back to the DNS electrocution story, right? So you think when you go there that the way these things work inside is all the same, right? You, you would think that it is, right? So yesterday I had to set up a mailgun uh, records for a client, right? And they're hosting with some hosting company that I don't regularly ever see or use, right? So I go in there and I'm like, oh, okay, this is great. I got all my two little things I need to put in. And I get there and I realize that there is no field for the host name to be put in, right? So turns out, if you want to do it, you have to email them or get a live chat and then exchange this information with somebody for them to set it up manually. And of course, this ended up taking an hour of my time where I thought it was a five minute deal. And I was it just reminded me that you get these things, Go check it out. Make sure you can log in. Number one, the client gives you a login and password and you don't look at it for two days and then you go to do the work and you realize you can't get in. But then the other one is, is can you actually accomplish what you need to in there with the tools that they're providing you? And there's nothing worse than having to do this. So yesterday, I give them the information. They set it all up. They said, oh, give it an hour and it all should be propagated. Everything should be fine. I go and I look. And they left off the first four characters of the string I gave them right. So then I had to start a whole new chat start all over again and say, I was just helping you were just helping me. Here's the string you forgot this part. Could you please put it in the beginning. Please give me five to six minutes to work on this for you. You know, the whole thing you're doing a chat you're waiting you're waiting and then they probably come back and say yes, it is done. So, Literally, this took an hour of my time to accomplish this. That's something that I had said, oh, no problem. I'll take care of it, and it can be done in a few minutes. So it's like... I think our biggest one of our biggest challenges is when people have domain registration services that you're not familiar with or don't know how they work and they're and apparently they are all different. It's like whatever somebody wakes up one morning and says this is what our interface is going to look like, that's just what they decide to build it as. So some places have the fields you need, some don't. Some or have extra protection where you can't enter that stuff. So anyway, that was my point. Just yesterday that happened to me and I was like wanting to bang my head on the desk, why did I agree to do this? And, you know it's like no good deed goes unpunished
1: I wanted to 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 follow up with that jackie I actually um have been doing a bunch of uh, migrations um uh some people that I used to work with they're were, they were getting out of the business and and they're uh you know asked me to move some of their clients to 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 new hosting and stuff like that so and and plus I moved uh, uh another uh client from another person that I used to work with but um so I've done like six uh, site migrations in the last three weeks and five of those included email. And I was just telling Lee in chat uh, that, that one uh, company, one organization, they, they had like a little gap like on their email because something was off in the DNS. And like you were saying, every uh, DNS place is different. Like it'll be different on GoDaddy and different on Media Temple and different in Bluehost and and they're all completely different. So uh, you really, really, really have to research uh, like what how to enter the the DNS records because and especially when it comes to mail records like the SPF and the the DKIM like records those might be totally different um, because if they don't have the space to put it in, you got to figure out how to write it. Yeah. Yeah, so fortunately, all mine ended with a happy story. Everybody ended up with their email uh, in the end. Everything ended on a good note. But with DNS, it is so important. Do not like underestimate it. And moving email is kind of a pain. Uh, and with Sally, I wanted to say too, like when you were dealing with the um, the person who was kind of a con artist, um, you know what what changed in your process? Like after that, did you to start screening people like more closely.
3: Uh, I definitely uh, always would look up a, a, a client after that. I mean, these days I get most people through referral, so, it, you know, it's a, it's a little less chancy, but yeah, it was just kind of like, yes, Google is your friend, uh, you know, see what you can find out and don't, you know, don't be in such a hurry that, that you fail to check uh, references because, yeah, if, if, if somebody says, and, and I've learned that, like, if somebody had a bad experience with one person, it may be their previous contractor because people don't know very much about how to hire somebody. If somebody's had a bad experience with five or six people, you think maybe it's start to think maybe it's the client who's the problem.
1: Yeah, one thing that I've I've done too, like along those lines um, is I always if somebody contacts me through a contact form or or anyway, I will Google them before I even get back to them to make sure that they are legitimate. Um, I know that other I, I know of other developers who have been burned by um, people who um, are scamming. You want to make sure that they're, they're like legit. Another scam that I want to mention that's out there is some people may be aware of it, but um, you know I know people who have been burned by this is like if somebody texts you or emails you and says, "Can you handle website you know this and that and I'm hearing impaired that is a scam. It is a credit card scam they will will if they ask you if you take credit cards just take say no I like either do payPal, do a check or cash um, because what they do is they have somebody else's card they'll overpay you they'll ask for a refund they'll pocket the difference, and then the entire part that gets sent to fraud you are responsible for so Whenever you get those texts or emails, just throw them in the trash uh, definitely and google people but Jonathan and I wanted to ask you any uh what what's the biggest uh, mistakes you've ever made on a web project I want to hear this <laughs> um, the one
4: that came to mind as our panelists were um, This their past sins were coming to light. Uh, Well, I had a client. um, They're still in business, so I'm going to be a bit careful here. And it's a regional, uh, quite a substantial regional business. And uh, I met the founder um, of the the joint founder, um, and they seemed really, really nice. We hit it off, and um, they want. Additional e-commerce solution, and I thought, yeah, great. And this was just before I got into WordPress. Um, it was around two point nine three zero, and I was still using Expression Engine. And um, I found a local developer because this was this was going to be out of my pay grade, the the custom development. But I found a really good local developer exp- who was experiencing expression injured which was lucky but he was a top-notch guy and so we go on to the first meetings and um, prices agreed and um, looks really a fabulous project so off we go start knocking it off and um, we do some of the functionality and we fill in everything with latin you know you know as you do, and I get called. We get called to a meeting to sh- you know to discuss the progress. So off, it's about eleven thirty in the morning. So off we go to the office of this company. Me and my my subcontractor, and the um, founder is there plus the um, CEO. And uh, I really get on with the CEO. The f- we start discussing things. And she's drunk. The founder's drunk at eleven thirty, right, John? And I'm looking at the CEO, and he's looking at me, and I'm looking at her, and she starts swearing at me, John. What's all this buzz, buzz, buzz stuff on the website—it <laughs> should be. <laughs>
5: I'm looking at lorem um, ipsum dollar at now <laughs> She
4: continues to swear at me, and I I I said sorry you're not talking to me like that. And I said, I looked at the CEO, we got to end this meeting and I'll give you a call in the afternoon. <laughs> we won't, my, my developer was hiding underneath the table. <laughs> he, just, he just, you can see
5: he was just trying to go
4: away and I kind of dragged him out with me out, out the
5: office. That, that was, you, you drove a client to the bottle was that is this, is this the biggest yeah, basically <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah i
1: thought you would say that but. man man <laughs> so so okay so here's a here's a question how did your processes change after that experience
4: yeah got a tip here folks um um not obviously if it's a small project do what john said you know and Sally, look them up on Google. If it's a bigger job, obviously do Google search, but then use your LinkedIn because I found it really um, with a client we're working with already, John. I've already done some LinkedIn research. Um, You'll find um, if you've got a reasonable large network on LinkedIn, you'd normally find somebody that's done some experience or work with somebody else, and then I just email them or phone them up saying, is it possible to have a quick chat Do you know this person can you give us some background because i'm gonna be doing some major work can you be amazed what people would tell
5: you <laughs> guys i have literally never checked up on a client i'm just saying i'm, I'm learning something today carry on john
3: yes but well, I, I was fortunate
4: if, if they got a pain, so you'd be. oh yeah i know them. <laughs> it all comes
5: out john yes, it out. yes
3: well it's it's uh, I had a case where, where someone contacted me who, you know, he happened to sort of mention uh, an existing uh, longtime client of mine. And so I mentioned him to this longtime client and he like phoned me and said, look, I got to tell you something about this guy. Uh, and so I gracefully deflected that project uh, elsewhere.
1: Um, Good, There you go. Yeah, definitely. No, I always, yeah, and uh, okay, so. Um, well, okay. I guess I have a couple like little stories here um, when, when it comes to to my biggest mistakes. Um, I'll, I'll start with a technical one. This was early early on in my career. I was doing a site for um, uh, there was an agency I used to subcontract for Back East. Um, I don't really do anything for him at this point in time, but um, they were doing a a site for a very large media site. They're uh, in the top twenty thousand sites in the world, you you probably nobody here would probably know the site, but um, anyway, they had a lot of traffic. One of the features that they wanted, well, a there was two mistakes. One, I agreed to do the whole site for like two grand, and this project ended up taking like literally like nine or ten months, and it just dragged on forever. So yeah, so that was one mistake. Uh, but the second mistake was they they had about sixty five thousand posts on the site at the time, and uh, I did not know they they had a feature where they wanted to kind of uh, like click on a thing where it 's like here 's the top rated sites of the day, the week, and then of all time so what i didn 't realize at the time was when you 're doing a database query on sixty five thousand posts that can really like you know bog down your site or even crash it and so we built it we were like oh yeah we're good to go you know and then you know they came back and they were like all hey we spent a lot of money on this and and now like it doesn't work and you know and it crashes the site so you know lesson learned that one was my fault it was my mistake yeah i know at least holding up two fingers yeah definitely so uh definitely we could not wait to get to the end of, of that. And uh, they went and had their site like done by somebody else. But honestly, there was a lot of mistakes with that one and how I changed my process after that uh, to tightly define the scope of like what you're doing um, uh, before you uh, go and uh, promise like a bunch of stuff and, and research don't just, you know, blindly say like, okay, I can do that. You know, actually, like give advice to, to you know find out like if that's gonna work, and then give advice. Uh, the Second mistake, uh, a project that I did was also early in my career. I think this is probably like this is probably the first site that I actually did for money. Okay, this was actually before that one, and uh, it, it was like for a a company. They they are a brick and mortar company. They they sell stuff or whatever, and uh, it was a family business. And the people who approached me. Uh, was not I didn't it was like the daughter of the owner and uh, her husband and uh, and then I also talked to the the son of the owner or whatever and uh, they're like hey yeah we you know we really want you know to do a website because they had no website their business is doing fine they had no website but they're like okay yeah 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 and I quote them some ridiculously low number like five hundred bucks or something like that because I was like oh that's about what a website should cost right. So, um, you know, I, th- I made so many mistakes on this one uh, and I didn't communicate with them what I was doing. I, I basically took it in my head to build them, like all put all their products like on the site, which ended up being everything that they could possibly sell. And the site was really good. I mean, as far as like that, it just like I, I spent way too much time, like months too long on this site. And then... At the end, the actual stakeholder, because I thought the people I was talking to were the stakeholders, the actual stakeholder, the the guy who writes the checks, like appeared and was like, oh, like, hey, like, are you done with this yet? Or whatever. And and uh, so I just basically just pushed out live like at that point, you know, it was just like, this is good enough. But so many things um, that I learned from this are, A, find out who the real stakeholders are. If you're not talking to the person that writes the checks, or even if this other person is writing the check, make sure you know like who's actually invested in this project because it turns out he doesn't even care. I mean, they don't even care. The site's still there. The site's doing really good, but as it turns out, they don't really need a website at all to generate business. So, I mean, there's zero interest in it. So there's that. And two... Uh, you know, communicate with the clients, uh, don't go dark, which I didn't go dark on projects like after that one at all. Uh, but I had to learn and then, uh, you know, don't do a bunch of stuff for free, which is like what I ended up doing on this project, because I wanted it to be a really good job. And I wanted it to do well, which it Still is doing but it's like I did it all for like a ridiculously low price and tossed in a bunch of stuff that they really didn't appreciate So that's a bunch of lessons there Yeah Tell you tell you
5: Lee Or uh, David oh. On, Lee. Oh, mate. oh, Sorry, okay. Uh, well, I was going to reiterate the whole thing for free You know sometimes when you go ahead and think oh, I'm gonna add this in uh, as extra value um number one, like you said, John, the client probably ain't gonna appreciate that. But number two, if you do add something in, you're adding in another point of failure. And I've done it so many times, and then it all screws up and I then like just look like the bad guy. And also we were me and Jackie were having a conversation. You said your first was five hundred dollars, mine was two hundred dollars. I think everybody needs their stupidly low-priced website to learn the lesson of, oh, okay, this is how much a website should really cost. David, I think you were going to say something away.
2: Yeah, I, and the, you, just, you just started it, Lee, which is I think the most general advice for people starting out in this kind of work is uh, charge more. Uh, and that, I think that looks two ways. One is, in general, when you're starting out, uh, fixed price estimate is always going to be super low Um, And it also looks like um, just like make sure that you think about what value you're providing. I know when I started out, I was like, yeah, no I was working $12 an hour jobs and now I'm going to get $30 an hour and you don't make a living that way. (laughs) It turns out. So, so just, just think about what, what value you're providing for these people more so than you're worried about like, Oh, how great this jump in hourly rate is because the overhead of, being as almost all of us are, you know, independent consultant kind of people is a lot higher than it is when you're working hourly at a convenience store or whatever it is. That's a great
1: point, David. I mean, that's the thing is, it, and that's a mistake I think a lot of us make when we first start out is we judge everything by what we were earning before because, I mean, like when I first started doing this like i think the most that i earned per hour before was maybe like 20 bucks or 20 bucks and change so you know 30 bucks is a lot of money but that that will you cannot survive on that if you're an independent consultant you can't do it uh for you know because taxes downtime um you don't work 40 hours of billable hours a week ever um definitely not consistently every single week um so definitely just want to go around the room. Any, any other like final thoughts uh, on this?
4: <laughs> Can I tell a little
1: story? Yeah, please yeah. jump in.
4: I had a client um, that was um, referred to me from um, a copywriter that I was using. And the, the the client had been a good client for the copywriter. She, so we have a meeting and she walks in and she's this six foot tall model and um and she was into motorbikes as well so she wore always wore kind of black leather She she comes in the office right and um she's doing she's doing some demo or something at some conference and she needed this job really done quick. Everything was always quick with this lady. Uh, <laughs> and uh She'd been let down by a, a developer who I knew, um, and um, I took on the job because um, I gave it, was, it wasn't a big job, and she uh, she agreed, and uh, it went fine. And she gave me more and more work, and we had more and more meetings, which I really really liked because she would turn up
1: in more black leather. And, <laughs> Is this a rated R story, Jonathan? I gotta ask.
2: No, no, I'm just, really worried when this is going.
4: No, it's just my stupidity, folks. Uh, um, so I enjoyed the little chats, you know. She had a she had a full-time boyfriend and um they used to roam around on motorbikes. And then she started not to be down on price. They're always they were always rushed jobs at the last minute, so she kind of I get a phone call, or email, and she said, "Oh, Jonathan, you need this done now." Blah blah blah, and and then you give a quote. She said, "Can you reduce it?" And I did. And then I found out from some associates she had a three million dollar house in Truckee. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I bumped up. As soon as I started bunning up the prices, she disappeared, folks. So
5: I no longer have meetings with this model. We never. Why is it that people with so much money, maybe that's why they have so much money? They knock you down on price because, like, I've I've had that experience where you you work with someone who advertises themselves as a super rich online millionaire selling the lifestyle and everything and they need you to do a few things for them that they obviously cannot do um, and and yet they want to bash you down on the price it really blows my mind they're like hey I'll help you earn a million pounds look at me on the beach then you say yeah that'll cost you sixty dollars and you just hear this <sighs> I'm like really
3: why I- I <laughs> sorry have that's my found rant that- that people who need to earn their living are more respectful of my need to earn mine
4: It's mm. an
5: interesting observation
4: It was the lever that Tommy
5: we were worried where this was going by the way <laughs>
1: <laughs> no i I think you make an excellent point sally it's It's people you know that that you know earn their money and work for it. they kind of are respectful, so I think it's it's really like how you come off like initially is it sets the tone. If you come off, if if you approach like a, a prospect or whatever, like I really, really need this money. Even if you don't say that verbally, if your body language and everything in you like says that, they're, they're going to sense that and lowball you. And uh, so you have to know your worth and, and internalize that. You really have to do that and And realize that that even people who are just starting um this and maybe you do you know don't necessarily think you're a great developer, the fact of the matter is is there are a lot of business owners out there that don't know anything about technology, and so even if you can help them, that's worth something, so you know price accordingly. any final thoughts anyone has or no,
2: um, I was, yeah, John, I was just going to follow up with what you were just yeah. saying, which is uh, the thing about not only do you have a lot of knowledge that you don't even think is knowledge. Um, like, you know, you know what WordPress is if you're listening to this podcast, that's virtually guaranteed. And there are people, business owners out there who don't even know that. Um, and to, to to add on to that, you, you can and do find clients out there who will respect you and for that knowledge and that expertise and will pay you for it. Um, They respect your need, as Sally said, to make a living and they will be happy to pay you for it. And so it is okay sometimes. I think we haven't dwelled a lot on like bad clients, but, you know, sometimes clients just aren't going to work out. And sometimes the best thing you can do is just cut your losses quick and just say, look, I'll give you your money back. This is just not going to work out for us. It's already, you know, you aren't communicating with me or I can't communicate with you or whatever it is. And just like, you know, get out of there. You know, we, we've talked a lot about the stories where we messed up, but some clients just are going to mess up in ways that aren't acceptable to you, whether that is like not respecting your need to make money or not respecting our time or anything like that. And so I think, um, you know, valuing yourself is a big part of this. You will make mistakes in this process as all of us have talked about, you know, you'll, you'll break the production site, you'll You'll uh, you know make everything look ugly when you accidentally click the wrong button. Like those things will happen. That's part of being a professional, though. It's how you handle those things and how people treat you when you handle those things that really matters.
1: No, it's a great point, David. They can't be a bad client if you don't accept them as a client. So mm-hmm. sometimes it's better just to deflect them towards somebody else. <laughs> That's mean.
2: Your worst enemy. That's not
0: mean. mean. That's just mean.
1: <laughs> that's not mean. You send them toward your enemies.
0: So I'm you like, hey, John, and, uh, you I usually just say, like, I out. can't think of anybody right now that I could refer you to. I just, I usually say something like that rather than uh, refer them to somebody else that even if it's somebody that I would consider like a competitor or something, I just say, I basically just say, I can't really think of anybody I could refer you to. And that is honestly the truth. Uh, yeah if, if i think they're gonna they be terrible to be i don't want to send them
3: to a to a colleague but it, you know in some cases it's sort of like well this person just has a really tiny budget okay you know and it, i can say well for you know for a small amount of money you can get this very limited thing you know and i know somebody who does this very limited kind of setup for you and and you know maybe that's where you should start but yeah if if, if they really seem like they're be it, it's like yeah go to upwork <laughs> go, go away yeah there you go
5: yeah, uh, people per hour is a place I recommend people go to as well. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if there's a limited budget or they're not going to be for me, or I know that it would be bad to recommend them to anyone else I know as well, because that's my credibility on the line as well, then yeah, mm-hmm. I'll just send them. I'll even help them if they really want to be like, hey, go check out these you know these type you know type this into um into upwork or into people per hour and you should find a good amount of people uh, you know that might be willing to work with you because most of them are going to need someone to work with them from a country where the cost of living is not as high so that they can pay the sort of budget they're looking for etc
1: true true well i think this has been an excellent episode and uh Definitely. I, I actually l- learn things from, from hearing what other people have, have gone through as well. And so hopefully like other people will, will uh, get something out of this as well. So uh, with that, we'll let everybody uh, tell us where to find them. David, how do we get a hold of you if people want to
2: follow you? Uh, so I am David B. Hayes on Twitter and definitely check out WP Shout at
5: WPShout.com. Excellent. Lee, how do we get a hold of you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's Lee Jackson Dev. And you can check out our super duper new brand, which is now live on angledcrown.com. That's angledcrown.com.
1: <laughs>
5: yeah. <laughs> excellent, excellent.
1: That was Jackie. my radio voice. <laughs> Jackie, how do we get a hold of you?
0: You can find me on Twitter at jdelia. And at jackiedalia.com or head over to rethink.fm. I'm there too.
1: Excellent podcast. And uh, Sally, how do we get a hold of you?
3: You can find me at wpfangirl.com. I am at Sally Gatch on Twitter. And if you can spell my name, you will locate me. I am unique in Google.
1: Only one. Jonathan, how do we get a hold of you? Oh, it's quite easy, folks. I'm pretty active on Twitter
4: at Jonathan Dinwood. I'm one of these whole phobies that do answer email if it comes from a person that spent some time to personalize their email to me. But um so you can email me at Jonathan at wp-tonic.com and I'll get back to you in a couple of days.
1: Excellent, excellent. And you can get a hold of me uh at my website which is lockdowndesign.com. You can email me, John at lockdowndesign.com or you can follow me on Twitter Lockdown underscore for the WP Tonic Posse. In effect, I want to say adios, sayonara, aloha, arrivederci, peace out. We out of here and get your
5: dose. Isn't aloha hello? It can be both. Can it? Really? Oh, that's like Italian when you say ciao. Yeah, there we go.
0: Ciao, baby. Ciao.
5: Uh, See, you you just don't stop learning. Even on the exit of this podcast, I'm learning. Yeah. This is amazing go. guys. Blimey, go ahead is- to iTunes and leave an amazing review about this podcast about how even when they're signing off, you're learning. As iTunes, five-star review.
1: I'm Dropping little- knowledge bombs for y'all. So you well, you're listening like to Jimmy Humans now,
5: yeah.
4: <laughs> well, I'm still recording because sometimes we have more we have a more interesting discussion after. Welcome record. to
5: After Hours.
4: After Hours. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not it's um, early here. It's 4 past ten in the morning, uh, um, but there we go.
0: Hey, I was going to share something that um, we didn't really have time to share, but one of the things that I, that has really helped me a lot is, you know, after I um, discovered Erin Flynn uh, and her process for dealing with clients. Once I actually formalized and made an introduction packet and, uh, you know, a working you're so, with me packet. you so
4: professional, Jackie. No,
0: but I'm just but saying, here's the thing. It actually, you know, when somebody contacts you and is thinking about working with you, if you've got something formal you can send them, like, here's my introduction packet. This is how I work with clients. This is my hours. This is all. You have something to send them. It really, number one, ups your game over everybody else, but it also can help screen people out that you're not going to be a fit for working with too. And it does it in a really nice way. So that was like really a, like I stepped up my game on those things and it has really helped me a lot is um, that. And then once a client signs a contract with you to work with you, you've got another packet explaining well how we're going to work together and what's, you know, what everybody's responsibilities are that, <laughs> Uh, Those things are nice because I I tended in the past to just email things to people like, you know, try to write a paragraph or two and it was different with every client and putting it all down in like a nice formal PDF document and being able to send it has um, made a big difference for me. So if you haven't gotten to that step yet, and you know you're wanting to, somebody, somebody that might be listening, that was like a big help for me. And Erin Flynn's website, uh, she had some really great templates to follow, which made it even easier for me.
1: I'm going to link that up in show notes because I think that's good advice. So, that's great. Definitely, I'm very, I'm very impressed. That's one thing that I forgot to mention too that, that I think probably all of us have encountered as well is uh, people contacting you like out of your business hours and stuff like that. And that's definitely don't respond if you don't want to set the precedent.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> if they contact oh, you, communicating by when you're communicating. Yeah. Yep. And I think that
0: goes back to what David was saying, though, is that whole communication thing is actually, you know, taking the time to communicate how you're going to work together and actually putting it down can alleviate a lot of misunderstandings and things later. It just makes things, you say, oh, yeah, well, you, you can remember seeing that in here. It's like it's all outlined here. and Yeah. You know, I. I don't I don't return emails on Friday or whatever your policy is or whatever your hours are, however, you're going to work formalize it, put it down and um, have something that you can distribute uh, Versus just trying to did I email all of that to them. Did I, you know, it it doesn't work long term. It, It doesn't have any scalability to it, put it that way.
2: Yeah, one, one thing I, I was thinking of throwing in, Jack, is I've I've had the objection personally to the idea of, like, sending a PDF or something of, like, it's informal and, like, I, I, li- I like to, like, be personalized, right? And this is so formal and stiff. But it's actually, it gives people a lot of confidence to be like, oh, I will be enveloped in your process and it will guide me through rather than feeling like they're just, like, at the whim of some... You know, flaky designer who, or developer who's just well it this.
0: also gives somebody comfort that you have a process okay it's not mm-hmm. like we're making this up as we go you know this is how we do things this is the process this was the first step this is our you know if you're doing a discovery phase whatever it is you're going to do if you outline it and say this is how the project is going to go this is what you can expect this is what I'm going to expect from you that if you know I need feedback that I get it in a reasonable amount of time and that that could that could delay your deliverables on your project just to be really clear so that people understand. What happens if a client wants to put a project on hold? I pretty much just have all of that covered. And so this way, there's no misunderstandings. You don't want you you to block your time out for a project, and then in the middle of it, they say, oh, I don't – we don't have time right now we'll we'll get to this later and you know now that's kind of messed up your whole schedule so if you have a, a fee to restart a project or a fee to put a project on hold for more than 60 days or 30 days whatever your process is it just to me makes it's been a really it's really helpful for me to just kind of put it down and then this way I don't forget to share it
1: I think that's all very useful Definitely. It makes you seem, that's definitely uh, something that I probably uh, need to put on my to-do list for sure is, because I think that, that definitely makes uh, you seem more professional and it outlines like all those things. So there's no, you know, question or doubt or like, well, you never told me.
0: That's right. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And at least it's clear and, you know, it's like, I I think it just makes sense it because I'm I will forget for sure to say something or to explain something and You know you typically are modifying your contract and you know it's nice to have something that just says this is how we work. And this is what happens if Something goes wrong. You know, this is if you need to put your project on hold. If you need to cancel your project. It's nice to outline that right in your contract right there. What's going to happen if you decide to cancel What's your process and then this way it's really clear.
1: Excellent, excellent stuff.
5: I got a, a lesson I'd love to share with you guys.
1: Okay. If I'm allowed, man. You're allowed.
5: Do it. Yeah, You're can do whatever you like. Cool. All right. So um, I invested a, a whole ton of money in the rebrand. This brand has been ready since October uh, last year, and I only launched a week ago. And the lesson here was I was working until like midnight the other night on an urgent go live because it's the typical client, new launch, new website just before an exhibition or event or whatever, expo, however you call it in the States. Um, And they want to be live before that. And I realized I was working until really, really late on someone else's stuff and I was not prioritizing my own stuff. I wasn't considering myself as also a very important client. I am kind of my own client. And I needed to get the new brand that I'd invested in live so that I could do a whole load of other stuff. So about three weeks ago we we decided, right, that's it. We are treating ourselves as just as important a client. And um, so client work happened and I, you know, you know, as client works it, as client work happens, but one of those clients became us, and we actually went in on the calendar and we got all of our work done. I paid people to come in and help me get stuff and you know, 301 redirects, all of that good stuff set up, etc. And we just put loads and loads of time into us as if we were a client and putting ourselves up at the top of the list. You know, really, really important. We got to get this new brand live because we have got stuff, we've got plans that we want to do. I want to be approaching US companies with this new brand, and I have put it off and put it off and put it off since October last year because I was prioritizing other clients over ourselves and we are just as important I'm not saying we are more important although maybe we are at times but it's just that whole idea of doing everything for everything everyone else and not valuing your own progress and not valuing your own work as well so uh, yeah that was a massive lesson for me and I'm so proud of the new brand it looks freaking awesome Um, and I'll be damned if I'm ever not gonna do our own work uh, again just because clients have got emergencies. Okay, preach over. Awesome. (laughs) Was that hallelujah?
1: (laughs) I I think there's a big lesson there, you know, and I think that it's very easy like in this line of work to, to, you know, just give all of like your time and energy to clients and leave none for yourself and I think, um, you know, like your, our friend, uh, our friend, Kim Doyle, uh, you know, preaches out, she a lot, what a lot of people do other people like, you know, uh, Sean McCabe, uh, there's many people out there that preach set aside time each day for your brand first, because otherwise you won't do it. Um, well, that
4: actually, John, i yeah. will just like ask David, you know, um, you know, you, you are, uh, you know, you're an active developer, and then you've got WP Shout. How do you prioritize things?
2: Yeah, I mean, for us, it's uh, it's about commitment to just having a regular schedule, and that that makes time happen. Um, I, I do think that the thing that came to mind when you were talking, Lee, is the old saying, the cobbler's kids have no shoes. Right, like this is exactly the problem that everyone has in this kind of client services role is that you forget that oh, I also have needs. I mean, it's the problem that people have in general, a lot of them. But
3: it's it's the classic entrepreneur's trouble of working in the business instead of on the business.
5: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
3: So
2: and yeah, Sally's I mean,
0: just got those short little things
3: that are just awesome <laughs> to this today. It's not like I made it up.
2: I love it.
4: <laughs> well I'm gonna, I'm gonna' we're gonna end it now on our this is our after hours section folks and um i'm um you'll be able to watch this on YouTube and on Facebook and we're ending it and we will be back next Saturday, uh, Woo where we we're gonna be discussing another WordPressy kind of topic um I think it's about e-commerce and plugins that can make that. More successful WooCommerce, which are always great and very popular shows. So we'll see you next week, folks. Howdy, whatever. Ah. I can't do John's kind of... Was that howdy? You just said howdy, didn't you? Yeah, howdy. I'm getting it from... Yeah, yeah. yeah. That is...
0: Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice
1: a week.